Hi, welcome to the Magic Hour with Anthony Alvarado and Jason Traeger. And we're going to be talking with Raj Patra about yoga and chakras. And Raj really breaks down a lot of the ideas about what chakras are and how yoga works and talks quite a bit about meditation as well. So we'll be getting into that later into the show. Yeah. Have you done any yoga, Jason? I have. What I've do done you think yoga, just morning workout type yoga. Yeah. Um, I've done classes now and then, but it's never been a real long-term or consistent practice, but yeah. I've, I have some experience around it. I've been trying to do like a little morning sun salutation thing in the morning. It's definitely something I know I should do. Yeah. <laughs> As, well, I'm getting to the point. So I'm, I'm about to turn 40 in a in like a year, nice. and I'm getting to the like I'm getting to the point where I'm like getting creaky, w- creaky. Yeah, my knees are getting a little creaky, yeah. and I've got this weird thing going on with my ankle where it's like stiff in the morning, so mm. the stretches are good. And I just had, I'm sure most people have heard that um, Louis C.K. bit where he goes to the doctor and the doc and he's got a, like a bad ankle or bad knee, mm-hmm. and he asks the doctor about it, and he's like, you know, doc, my knees. Really stiff, what should I do? And yeah. the doctors are like, yeah, you're getting old. You just got knees now. Yeah. That's, we're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> I just had that. I went to the, did my checkup. And the, that's what they told me. Like, yeah, you're, there's nothing wrong with you except you're 39. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's just, it's true. The body does break down. There's no doubt about it. And I think yoga is good for that. I think, I imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. Because, yeah, I, 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 I would like to, Yeah. <laughs> I always think that I would like to do yoga at some point. Yeah, it, sure, it's one of those things. Yeah, it, it sounds very nice and healthy, but it does take, like you have to, you know, the with morning yoga, you have to take the time. You wake up in the morning and I, immediately I want to rush off and get started on my day. Yeah. I'm trying to slow down and basically uh, touch my toes. Yeah. Kind of do like an, a weird inverted sit up. Yeah. And then repeat that several times. Sure. That's weird with those kinds of things because so often I'll think like I have time. I find time to look at Twitter all the time. I find time. <laughs> I find time to like just scroll on Facebook. Yeah. To lay in my bed doing that. But oh, like, man, I saw just yesterday. I saw a headline that we spend not you and I, but people yeah. spend fifty minutes a day on Facebook. Oh yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That's awful. It's terrible. Fifty minutes, and it's always the same stuff. Oh yeah, it's just it's just the same thing. The feed is about the same every day. I got this one guy on Facebook that he posts all my favorite stuff. I'm not even really friends with him in real life, yeah. but he's like the best Facebook poster. Yeah. So that that's what I go to Facebook for. Yeah, mine's a real mix because I have you know my mom, relatives I know, uh, yeah. good friends, and hundreds of people that I've never met before that are like comedy. Right. Well, so people friend you for com- because yeah. of your comedy mm-hmm. all the time. I try to, I, I feel weird about friending people that I don't know that I haven't met. So yeah. I, I've got like. I'm definitely not in that zone anymore. <laughs> yeah. I tried to do like a split thing. So you yeah. have your kind of like your private Facebook yeah. and your public one. And I tried to do that, but it doesn't really work that way. Probably not that a bad well. idea. But no, it's hard to keep them. I yeah. just gave up. So it changed the way I used it because I used to get pretty personal about things. And now I'm very much like, here's shows I'm doing. Yeah. Here's a here, you know, salute to my mom, whatever. Just, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't go deep on a lot of cute pet videos. You do a lot of cute pet videos, I've noticed. You know, it's, really... it's just one of those things to be like, okay, let's just always keep a pet video up front, <laughs> you know, so that people just have something to smile at. 
I've also noticed a theme of, like, I feel like you have a lot of, like, fairy I like posters. fairy stuff a lot. Fairies are huge for me. <laughs> Fairies and elves are yeah. really big for me. Definitely. Yeah, I, I need more themes in my, in my Facebook posting. It's a recurring theme. <clears throat> I don't know. I've, so I've thought a lot about trying to unplug. I mean, I guess this has to do with yoga a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yoga is like a, it's a mental practice. It's a, a, a spiritual practice, physical. A physical, a little bit of everything. And it, I feel like, you know, it's grounding. And I feel like one of the most grounding things and this isn't the topic of today's show, but one of the most grounding things you can do is unplug from Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And I, for a while, I was trying to um, only go online uh, one day a week, and that felt really oh God, good. That's amazing. And, and I, I would, I would wait. You know, I'd wait until Sunday, and that'd be my no, it was Saturday. Saturdays at the end of the week, and I'd log on, and I'd have a bunch of messages and stuff, and you could read it all in 20, 30 minutes, yeah. and you're not missing anything. Yeah. Yeah, the diabolical thing about the computer, or one of the things, I mean, there's so many aspects to it that are just feed into compulsivity and addiction, or just, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's the whole thought. Uh, <laughs> compulsivity, you know, it's 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 very much the sort of rat going to get the drop yeah. of sugar water. You know, you yeah. just get that little, well, oh, I got three likes on my Twitter. I got yeah. three, just a little drip of, of sugar and just, Well, that's know. the nice thing is I don't get any likes on my Twitter, so oh, it good. doesn't, I don't get hooked that way. That's awesome. You're, lucky. <laughs> You're really lucky because I just drown in them on a daily basis. No, but... Uh, yeah, it's it is it is strange, and it's definitely one of those things where you go. It's not deep satisfaction. It's like a little yeah, drip. It's of a little M and M. Yeah, and doing a, a good monkey trick. Yeah, and I definitely <laughs> feel like it's good to back away from that. And I I feel I feel like that kind of it, what um, I, I guess I guess I want to call it wisdom comes down to is like knowing the difference between that little drip of satisfaction and the stuff that's going to have like a longer payoff. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's why like stuff like having a yoga practice yeah. or meditation or even just exercise or whatever, yeah. going for a walk, you know, it's not as like instant gratification, but it definitely is going to pay off oh, yeah. more in the long term. It's like the difference between jacked up, you know, food and good food is like, you know, eating like Doritos yeah. or you're going to just, that's, you know, yeah, that's something give you this cheap little figure out. drip. And, and, <laughs> but it's not, uh, yeah, it doesn't satisfy the way like really good food does. Um, I don't think, unless that's your taste. But for me, I definitely feel like I like, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you cook much? You, oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. I love to cook. I think, yeah, that, I've heard that if, uh, you know, you can eat whatever you want as long as you make it yourself. Mm. So if you want... Uh, you know, McDonald's, yeah. Big Mac, and French fries, <laughs> you know, make the French fries. And, it's uh, going to be really different. Yeah. Yeah, but mindfulness, I mean, it's, it's and gr gratitude, various exercises and practices on that. I do those, like, definitely on a daily basis. It's one of the only ways. You got to keep those things up front. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just really, I make a huge point to do it and notice the good things around me because, and I feel like that's, my a form of yoga and meditation that I totally. do for sure. I mean, yeah. all the time. I look at flowers so much. I feel like just maintaining a childlike sense of, of curiosity and like uh, wonder at things is, is like a huge spiritual practice for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to always have this idea that like I should meditate. I should do yoga. Mm -hmm. I should do this. I right. should do that. It's probably the best thing. If life's good now, it'd be so much better if I did yoga. Right. And then I realized like at a certain point that 
You know, maybe for me, it's totally fine to just go for a walk <laughs> and look at the leaves with like childlike wonder. Yes. Maybe for me, that's fine. That's my body's not aching. I don't have a bunch of pain and I, you know, I don't feel like it. I think it's fine. Yeah, I think you, and I'll I move think you to yoga when, when I'm when I'm called to. And and I, I feel I like I'm kind of the opposite because I'm a person who has like totally lazy, like gluttonous, slothful mm-hmm. tendencies, and mm-hmm. so I have to make myself uh, go out and like go for a jog yeah. and like not eat crappy food and stuff. Yeah. And it's it's more of a I'm pretty a yeah I'm pretty thing. good that way definitely. It's I, good. I, I my body um, I listen to it. I mean, it sounds so like new age or whatever, but I really listen to it because it'll tell like, I'll yeah. be like, if I eat too much of one way, I'm always like, all I want to do, I, I, my body, I crave the balance. Yeah. It's always like, I want, you know, I eat too much starchy stuff then I'll just want to eat nothing but just right. a huge well, pile of greens. I think you should just keep doing what you're doing. Then, you know? I, I don't think I ever learned to do what you're describing though. Listen to your body part. And that, but that, that is, you know, when you, I go and take these yoga classes uh, at Raja's studio. Mm-hmm a few blocks from here, and that's what they say during the classes all the time. Listen to your body when you're doing this warrior pose or downward yeah. dog or whatever, like listen to what your your breath is telling you, yeah. and your muscles and your, your whole system. And I think, yeah, it's about becoming conscious of, yeah. of your body because it's really easy to be just so locked in your headspace, oh, yeah. mental. Especially nowadays, yeah, mm-hmm. with, with the internet. Yeah, it's a big one, and I feel like also uh, it's a big one for dealing with like compulsive behaviors and addictive behaviors and stuff. Is to because um, oftentimes what you're doing when you give in to those types of things, you're trying to avoid actually feeling a feeling in your body. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes like I'll just be like like on a day like uh, where I have like a business day where I'm going to take care of all my personal stuff and maybe do comedy business and try and book shows and stuff. I can just get so bent out of shape just trying looking at a list of things that I could knock out in like 20 minutes. Right. But I'll pace the room and I'll, you know, be looking around for, uh, you know, some other thing to do. And yeah. it's just this weird. Uh, but then, uh, like, lately I've been doing a thing where I just sit and I go, like, I'll, I'll just sit, like, in the chair. Not like a big meditation thing, but just, like, sit uh-huh. down and suddenly just look ahead, turn off music, and just, and just listen and go, like, where do I feel this? You know, I'm, I'm, and I realize, oh, I'm pinching my fingers together. Uh-huh. I've got this nervous feeling in my stomach. And then instead I'll just go, okay, unpinch the fingers, look straight ahead, put a smile on your face, do the, this task yeah. right now. Let's pick the easiest one. Then I just dip in. Then I, and I find that like, but because uh, what I'll do is right about then I'll be like, I should get up and clean or I should get up and look at the internet or I'll switch to Twitter or, you know, maybe I should go masturbate or, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, something to just like let's just get yeah i think it's really hard to to turn all that off yeah and that's where like the internet can be so nice is where it can be just like ah i'll distract you for oh yeah it's the ultimate distraction machine you can find a million things to just but it but it hardly ever makes me feel better like i hardly ever go like i'm so glad that was a satisfying uh, look at the internet except for those cute puppy videos exactly (laughs) stuff like that but uh you know but whereas if i go for a walk um, you know, take a nice break and just like go look at flowers and breathe and just look ahead of me. I come back from those going like, okay, that was yeah. a good break. That was, and that's yeah. the, that's the kind of proof that I try and listen to is be like, okay, that made me feel quantifiably better yeah. and more relaxed and more revitalized. And now I'm going to face this task. But if I just kind of, you know, just 
to kind of and just like look at the internet and just start, you know. Yeah, it, you get sucked into that. It's not, it doesn't make me feel good. Well, we hope that the listener at home is maybe going for a nice walk while they listen to the rest of this episode Take and nice stick walk. around for a talk with Raj Patra from Hot for Life Yoga. My guest today is Raj Patra, a yoga teacher and the co-founder of the studio where I take yoga classes, Hot Yoga for Life, here in Portland, Oregon. Raj, thanks a bunch for coming to the studio today to talk with us. I'm really excited to ask you about chakras and the third eye and a whole bunch of different ideas. Um, before we get into that, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your personal experience with yoga. Thank you, Anthony. It's nice to have... Um uh, a radio show where we were talking about yoga, and I'm excited about talking about chakra and the, and the third eye. Um, I grew up in Calcutta, India, and uh, when I was very young, I was introduced to yoga at Bishnu Ghosh's College of Yoga. Uh, Bishnu Ghosh, incidentally, is the younger brother of Paramhansa Yogananda, mm. who wrote the book Autobiography of a Yogi, um, and was one of the first yogis to have come to the West to introduce the concept of yoga on a large scale. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, the one other Indian who is very well respected and is known as the father for introducing yoga to the West is Vivekananda. I grew up um, blocks away from where he grew up as well, which was a complete coincidence and a very cool thing. So I um, started doing yoga at a very fairly young age and continued to do that. Um, all the way until I came to the United States to go to college. Mm -hmm. And at which point in time, um, there was a natural pause. And um, eventually I picked that up about 10, 11 years ago and um, started doing yoga seriously. Um, more recently, I've been studying uh, diligently um, under my guru or teacher, Andre Lapa. Mm -hmm. He is uh, a Buddhist monk and a Ukrainian yoga master um, who is also a realized yoga master. Um, so as a result of that, I have been fortunate enough to go to Nepal, study at a monastery with him and with his teacher. And um, incidentally, we are planning a trip to Nepal, uh, mm -hmm. taking some of the yoga students and teachers from Hot Yoga for Life this coming March. That's great. What, what does it mean to be a realized yoga uh, master? Um, there is this notion that at the end of the day, the practice of yoga has one goal only, mm -hmm. and that is to be self-realized. That is to know who you are in essence. Mm -hmm. And to realize that is to realize that you are the divine and the divinity that is in all beings. It is to lose your self-identification. Mm -hmm. And from there on, you identify with everything and anything. Mm -hmm. um, and when you reach that state, your perception, your notion of life... Um, changes dramatically. You don't see a separation between beings. You don't see a separation between animate and inanimate objects. And there are very few folks um, throughout history who mm. have been able to um, reach that state. It sounds like a, almost like a melting of the ego. That is correct. Huh. Well, I, I hope that that ties into chakras at some point because I, I wanted to really ask a lot of questions about uh, chakras in the third eye. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of probably misconceptions about these, these terms out there. And so 
Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people, when they hear like chakra, just that word, they think, oh, that's like some new age nonsense. You know, it's it's something that we are, as a culture, as a Western culture, we're kind of familiar with, but um, it's a blurry, a blurry idea. So I'm really excited to talk with you today. Uh, to talk with somebody about the actual historical ideas of chakras within the yoga tradition. Um, and let's start with the basics. What are chakras? Yeah, that's a, um, particularly yoga in the West has taken mm -hmm. a turn where, where I think that many of these notions are half understood or mm -hmm. half um, kind of described in the context of the modern practices of yoga. Mm -hmm. So first, um, the word itself. Um, I have heard the word being pronounced in many different ways. It is certainly not chakra or chakra. <laughs> uh -huh. It is chakra. 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 Uh -huh. There is a distinct R, chakra. and it's almost like my uncle Chucky is playing with chakra. <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the pronunciation. Uh -huh. So, um, in a very literal sense, the word chakra means wheel mm -hmm. or anything that can spin. Mm -hmm. Chakra. So a wheel on a card is actually called a chakra. Yes. Yeah. Um, in fact, chakras are wheels on uh, chariots. Mm -hmm. um, chakras are also, you will see a depiction of chakras in the hands of various gods and goddesses in hin Hindu mythology. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what it means at a, at a very rudimentary level. Mm -hmm. But in the context of yoga, chakra is a, a fairly complex um, idea. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try to explain it from two angles, both from an esoteric standpoint. But before we get there, let's start from a physiological standpoint. Okay. Um, so one has to understand that a chakra has no physical aspect in the human body per se. Mm -hmm. In other words, you cannot dissect a cadaver and find a chakra or seven, let alone right. laying <laughs> here and there. So it is, it is a concept, uh, conceptual um, aspect of some of the yoga theories. Right. So in our body, there are these so-called energy centers. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, many of these energy centers are roughly positioned along various glands of our body that serves very specific purposes. Mm -hmm. So for example, our first chakra, which is Muladhara, is located around the adrenals. Mm -hmm. uh, the second chakra is located around the testes or the ovaries. The third chakra is located around the pancreas and so on and, and it's so forth. sort of like starting at the bottom, moving up in a line along, along the spinal column, right? Almost. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Many folks also think that the chakras might be located along the spine. That is mm -hmm. not really the case. Mm -hmm. in, mo in most cases, it is located in front. The fo fo focal point of the chakra mm -hmm. is located in front of your spinal cord. Okay. So, so what happens is um, there are seven energy centers such as these in Hinduism. Mm -hmm. In Buddhism, there are five. Huh. They combine the first and the second chakra and the sixth and the seventh chakra okay. together mm -hmm. to make five. Mm -hmm. In Chinese um, understanding of the chakra theory, there are only three. They combine the wow. first, second, and the third, and the fifth, sixth, and the seventh. That's fascinating that these different cultures have a similar idea, but sort of a different way of accounting for the positions. Yeah, and yoga has traveled. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the cultures... Um, you know, this is one of the things that is uh, a deep passion of mine is to understand and explain the difference between Hinduism and Buddhism, because mm -hmm. in many instances, people think they are just two opposite sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that is not the case. Uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism are 
the same thing seen through different lenses. Right. Yeah. So the principles absolutely traverse mm-hmm. um, in, in Hinduism and Buddhism. And Buddhism had a tremendous force and migration into China. So it's not surprising that the concepts of chakra, um, some of the other concepts are also present. Well, so this idea of chakras, is this something that is essential to understanding yoga or is it kind of a more esoteric kind of thing? Depends on um, what you mean by yoga. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I think in the West, when we are talking about yoga, the general notion is around what would be traditionally called asana practice. Uh That is the practice of postures and poses. Yeah. And in that context, um, chakra has very little, if any, significance. Um, Traditionally, in Hinduism and Buddhism, yoga has hardly any concept of asana. It is all a very recent invention. In the, over the course of the f- um, several thousands of years um, where yoga has existed, the notion of asanas is fairly recent. It is only about 600 years or so ago that the Hatha Yoga Pradipika actually started talking about asana practices. But the concept of chakras have existed a long time before. So for a everyday practitioner, you have to understand how you can leverage some of these concepts of chakra to further whatever it is that you're trying to do. At the end of the day, the practice of asana is an effort to trap your mind. Okay. And it can be taken even in the modern context. The trapping of mind is the gateway to everything that will really start Yoga. Well, what does it mean to trap the mind? What It means um, exercising your capabilities and your muscles of meditation. Okay. Where you can take your mind and you can alleviate or remove it from your physical body. Uh-huh. And when you get to that place, then you realize that your mind is not the be-all, end-all. Uh-huh. I think this is the fundamental difference between the Western philosophy and the Eastern philosophy, where um, we in the West think that if we cannot think of something, it does not exist, uh-huh. or our mind is the central point. But in Hinduism, Buddhism, and in Tantric philosophy, it is the exact opposite of that. It says that until and unless you know your true nature, mm-hmm. you know who you are, or what color of glass you are wearing to interpret the world around you, mm-hmm. The world that you view is absolutely an imagination. And that glass that you interpret the world around you, that is your own kind of way of seeing things. Your mind. Yeah, your mind. The The way you see the world through your mind is your world. Yeah. And because my mind is different than your mind, the way I see the world is very different than yours. And as a result, nothing is absolute. Uh Uh-huh. So the beginning of the trapping of the mind, which leads you to meditation... First thing, Uh, separate your physical body from your mental body. Yeah. And then furthermore, which is the most fascinating part, which is the yoga, is that it separates you from your mind. Uh Uh-huh. You end up being not what your mind thinks who you are, but the essence of your being. And when you understand the essence of your being, you Uh, understand uh that the essence of all beings is the same. Right. And as a result, there is no separation between you and divinity. There is no separation between you and God. Which gets back to the what you were saying in the beginning about fully realized. Once Self-realization. Ah, yeah, that, that really makes sense. It's like you're seeing your own uh, coloring of the, wor- the world. You're seeing your own uh, glasses, your own window, your own 
mind that the self is looking through at the world. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wonder, you know, obviously, like most Portlanders were, most people were walking around, were not thinking a whole lot about this stuff, this yoga, this idea of the, the mind, the self. Um, is, does that relate to chakras? Does that relate to, uh, I mean, to having like, cause I, I always hear the, I, the phrase, like you got to open your chakras, you got to open your third eye, you got to open, like, does that opening have something to do with this sort of the self-realization of like, of, of seeing the, the mind for what it, what it is and as being like, I guess, is, is it a barrier, the mind to, to being fully realized? I think that uh, the notion behind the chakras is that um, until and unless you know who you are, mm -hmm. you wouldn't know what coloration you're looking through the world. And, ah. and each one of these chakras have certain properties. So I'll, I'll briefly give a context of that because yeah, that will do. set up um, the conversation. So, mm -hmm. for example, the first chakra, which is located at the base of our, of our, in the general area at the base of our spine, mm -hmm. it's called Muladhara chakra. Mm -hmm. And it is... Um, its instinct, the, the property that it has, uh, can be translated in human experience as the survival. Okay. It guides your survival modes. The second chakra, which is Swadhisthana chakra, which is um, in the general location um, of the ovaries and the testes, um, uh, leads to procreation or yep. playfulness. That makes sense. Um, the third, Manipura chakra, has to do with the sense of ego the mm -hmm. sense of individuality. The fourth chakra, which is Anahata chakra, is located in the general area of the heart, and it has to do with compassion and love mm -hmm. and kindness. Mm -hmm. The Vishuddha chakra, which is the fifth chakra, located roughly around your thyroid and parathyroid gland, um, has to do with creativity. Ajna, which is the third eye, um, which is located uh, somewhere around your forehead, but from a gland standpoint around your pituitary gland, mm -hmm. um, has to do with foresight and intelligence mm -hmm. and interpret interpretation, mm -hmm. your capability to in interpret. And then finally, the seventh chakra, which is the Sahasrara chakra, has to do with the, the location is a little bit confusing for many folks that think that it sits at the top of the head, mm -hmm. but in many traditions, it is considered that it is located around the pineal gland, mm -hmm. which is not too far away from the pituitary gland. Mm -hmm. And ha that has to do with um, the sensation of divinity, spiritual connection, etc., etc. Interesting. So now if you think about that, if I am always in the survival mode, my ability right. to the be low compassionate yeah. will be very, very difficult. Uh -huh. If I am always in a loving and kindness mode, I may lose my sense of individuality. Hmm. If I'm always thinking and seeing the world through intellect, through cognitive senses, hmm. through my sixth chakra, mm -hmm. I may lose my connection with how to love people, how to relate to them at an emotional level, because logically, love may not make sense to me. Yeah, there's sort of different modes of being. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so going back to your question about how does the notion of chakra relate to the world of yoga, mm -hmm. um, in tantric practices, much of what you are trying to do is bring balance okay. and strengthen all, all chakras to the same degree. So it's not necessarily like you want to get to the highest chakra, like it's a ladder. It's no. about 
bringing them all into the same level or exactly balance. it's to create balance ah. so according to the tradition and lineage of yoga hmm. um, that i practice yoga can be defined in many different ways but one mm-hmm. of the ways that it is defined is in strength balance and unification mm-hmm. and it is not just from a physical asana practice strengthening balancing and unifying your your um, you know uh, your movements mm-hmm. your physical ha- body yeah mm-hmm. but it has to do from all different angles and one of that is chakra mm-hmm. so you're strengthening your chakra you're balancing your chakra and eventually you're unifying your ch- all of your chakras mm-hmm. into your being mm-hmm. to understand who you really are mm-hmm. so in modern society depending on the work that we do the the society that we or the family that we grew up in or our innate tendencies drive us to be strong or weak in certain areas okay and when that happens we, our glass, our mind, interprets the world or sees the world through that angle. Right. From that persona. Mm-hmm. And so our reading of the world, yoga will say, is absolutely erroneous. You will not understand who you are because you are interpreting the world through a lens, through yeah. a view. Yeah. So um, I hope that helps, understand, uh, that, that helps you understand um, why you want to pay attention. Why is mm-hmm. that important? Now, yeah. like I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> from a physical practice of asanas, you cannot really strengthen chakras. And asanas are the postures. the postures, yeah. And so I go to yoga classes and oftentimes I hear folks say like certain poses such as camel pose, which is, or ustrasana, which is mm-hmm. a back bend, will open up your heart chakra. In uh-huh. reality, that is almost... Impossible. I mean, th- that cannot <laughs> that's happen. that's treating it as like a physical thing. Right, right. But, but doing that stretch, uh, stretching that area of your body that doesn't have any bearing on that chakra being in that... Not that we know of. Uh-huh. Not that we know of. So I'll, I'll explain physiologically what mm-hmm. paying attention to chakras do. Yeah. So, and you have to understand that the chakras does not work independently. Mm-hmm. It is in combination with various other systems it, that it works. It makes me, I don't know if this is kind of out there, but it, I, I keep, the way you're describing this, I keep on thinking in terms of music, like chords, like playing a musical instrument or a flute or something, you have these different spots that can be at different levels. Um, I don't know. It makes me think of like a chord on a guitar somehow. Possibly. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know, it's a bit of a stretch, but... Um, um, so... So what ends up happening is that there are various systems in yoga. So chakra is one one system. And the other two that I'm going to mention, because it's very relevant in this conversation, is um, pranayama. Mm -hmm. Pranayama is breathing techniques. Okay. And what it does at the end of the day is that it manages and controls the ratio of various gases in your body. Hmm. The concentration and the ratio of oxygen versus carbon dioxide Uh is the basis the, the physiological demonstration of what a pranayama does. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that is, is common and popular in yoga studios is this concept of bandhas. Mm-hmm. And bandhas means lock. You create a lock. You put pressure in certain parts of your body. There are three major bandhas and several minor bandhas. But mula bandha at the base of your root chakra or first chakra is one. Mm-hmm. Udhyana bandha right around your heart area is the second. The third one is around your throat, where the thyroid and the parathyroid glands are. And so this would be a sort of a physical locking or tensing of these areas while doing a yoga pose? Yes. Okay. So 
Um, the reason I mention is that from a physiological standpoint, how a yoga practitioner in the modern Western world can take advantage of working on their chakra mm -hmm. is roughly the following. So let's say that you are sitting and you're meditating and your meditation, your focal point is one of the chakras. Mm -hmm. Let's say your muladhara chakra, your, uh, around the area where the adrenals is. Mm -hmm. Now for you, the chakra at this point in time doesn't mean anything much more than just a point where you can pay some attention to. Okay. But by paying attention to that area, what you were doing is something, some part of the body, some muscle groups, some nerves, some circulation points that may have been ignored as a result of not paying attention to it. All of a sudden you are paying attention, quote unquote, activating that area. Uh -huh. Okay. Now combine that with a mulabandha where you're now almost squeezing your perineum and lifting up the base of your body. You're mm -hmm. creating strong muscular focus and, and contraction. Mm -hmm. Now, notice that this also happens to be an area where there are the adrenals. Mm -hmm. And it, has, it secretes, when, when activated or when put pressure on, it secretes certain juices. Mm -hmm. Now, you have paid attention to your first chakra. You have engaged your bandha. And all of a sudden, the adrenals are starting to work. Mm -hmm. It releases certain chemistry into the bloodstream. This bloodstream, so now effectively what you have done is by paying attention to a chakra, you are manipulating your blood chemistry. Mm -hmm. Combine that with your pranayama practices. All of a sudden, the ratio of carbon dioxide and oxygen is also changing. Now, Raj, the, the way you're explaining this, I, it almost makes me want to say, well, these are all physical things. You're explaining neurochemicals and endorphins and these chakras. They're just a metaphor for a physical thing. Um, what if the, the ancient yogis who came up with this idea were just describing um, very advanced knowledge of of the endocrine system, of the adrenals, and so forth. They absolutely are. Mm -hmm. In fact, what I'm describing is kind of layman's way of looking at a chakra or a point where you can pay attention to mm -hmm. and get some benefit around it. Uh -huh. um, but at the end of the day, the, the true notion of the chakra in tantric practices, where the notions of chakras came from, is very, very esoteric. Okay. Um, in some of the practices that I have done, um, you can start feeling... Uh, this another thing called vayu or wind. Okay. And when you focus and pay attention on that, that's where the subtle body plays a role. Mm. Um, and you have to let go of your gross body and be able to separate your mind and your being from the gross body in order to be able to get to understanding, feeling, and sensing. That's where the tactile component completely disappears. And it is all a feeling, a sense, sensation-based practice. And so when you are doing tantric practices, you can definitely, if you scan your body, you will find certain focal points within your body where you feel more sensations. Mm -hmm. You almost can visualize things and those visualizations naturally give them colors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, chakras have various colors. The yeah. first chakra has red, is red. The second chakra is orange. The third is yellow, mm -hmm. blue, uh, green, blue, so on and okay. so forth. And these colors did not come about as a result of some artist's imaginations. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is when yogis in various parts of India and the Himalayan region practiced and, and truly wanted to disconnect and were able to disconnect their mind from their physical body, they were able to sense certain common things mm -hmm. 
ar- across the board. Mm-hmm. And these common things have later been combined to gr- give terminology. And the funny thing is, is that when they were focusing, meditating on this energetic body, energetic shell of mm-hmm. the body, at certain points, they naturally started perceiving certain colors. At different, at different, at different chakra points. Correct, yes. So does that mean that if you uh, wear like a bunch of green or you're in a green room or something, is that going to affect like a... A certain chakra or um, if you're connected, yeah. if you're connected to the energetic shell of your body, mm-hmm. yes, it does. Interesting. Um, there are, you know, um, energy workers mm-hmm. who are able to manipulate your energy. There are, there are absolutely stories, um, and these, I, I believe truly that they, they are honest in, mm-hmm. in all cases, is that when, when somebody who is deeply in connection with your energy, mm-hmm. you look at them. Um, that person will be able to tell that you might be going through a heartache mm-hmm. or your life is in doldrums because, or you are too intellectual, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I have heard many stories um, that happens. It's almost similar to, you know, with uh, we all have that ability. We just don't pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, if, if you have a loved one and one day you saw him or her in a state that is different you're, than you're normal. You're going to know right away. Yeah, it yeah. has no physical, it may not even have physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're reading the energy aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where it is. It's interesting. Well, what about, I mean, if colors can influence uh, the chakras, what about uh, other things like, um, aside from yoga, like uh, certain foods or certain tones or music, or are, are there a lot of different ways that the chakras can be uh manipulated or is yoga the the predominant way that you'd go about doing that um most of the chakras have been studied from the context of yoga Mm -hmm. so i do not know and and i'm inclined to say and i may not be um absolutely accurate Mm -hmm. in this is that you know because chakras are so much associated with the energetic body the vibrations um it would have an easier time being influenced when you are influencing it via vibrations. So the food aspects of things, which is much more coarse, which Mm -hmm. is much more um, not subtle, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, will have a lesser influence on your body um, than probably energetic aspects of things. I think that that vibrations, um, chantings, Mm -hmm. um, bells and sounds have much more influence on your chakra system, on your energetic vibrations Mm -hmm. um, than other things. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask about the third eye because I feel like it, it's the one chakra that people as a whole tend to be really curious about and familiar with. Why the emphasis on, on that? Is, it, is, the, is that chakra somehow more important or is that just um, kind of a Western idea? What What's the deal with the third eye chakra that makes it so well-known? You know, it's like the most famous uh, member of the band or something, <laughs> you know? You know, the funny thing is I grew up in India um, and there are definitely many gods and goddesses. Uh-huh. And many of these gods and goddesses have a representation of the third eye. They, mm-hmm. have, they have a physical third eye that is painted. An or actual eye. An actual eye. Yeah. And I think that hardly any Indian would know that that has a correlation with chakra. Really? In fact, it doesn't. Oh. Um, So call it partially myth, partially true, or stories got translated somehow. Uh At the end of the day, the third eye 
is a symbolism for connection with divinity. Mm -hmm. And it is foresight. Mm -hmm. It is the vision that allows you to identify yourself truly as who you are. Mm -hmm. Now, it so happens that the pineal gland mm -hmm. is also, being part of the seventh chakra, um, is also your connection to divinity. Mm -hmm. um, now, pineal gland is an interesting thing yeah. uh, because people um, in all different cultures throughout age has been very, very interested in the pineal gland. Yeah, I'll give you an example. For example, um, in the Egyptian culture, mm -hmm. you will see eye of the Horus. Mm -hmm. It is a very dominant um, you know, uh, uh, you will find that in almost yeah, all cultures. Yeah, I can picture it right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. And surprisingly, if you um, dissect a human brain, the pineal gland in the impression of the brain, the cross-section of the brain, uh -huh. looks exactly like the eye of the Horus. Yeah, in, in that Egypt. shape. Um, in Christianity, for mm -hmm. example, um, the pine cone is a symbolism for the, the pineal gland. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, the pine cone is a symbol that appears in a lot of uh, um, kind of Eastern Orthodox um, liturgy, liturgy and traditions. And I, I believe that the Pope has a pine cone on his staff. Absolutely. Which, uh, which signifies connection with divinity. Yeah. And that has to do with the pineal gland. In fact, the, well, the one thing that actually got me thinking about wanting to investigate the concept of third eye uh, was a friend was telling me the other day that the, uh, the pineal gland is where the philosopher Descartes decided or thought or guessed that the human soul was connected to the body. He said, this is where uh, the human soul resides. And, you know, of course, Descartes, he famously uh, kind of divided uh, the metaphysical and the physical and, and had us focus on the material world, you know, Descartesian materialism. So it's interesting that uh, this was the fellow who said, here is where the soul resides in the human body. And he he seemed to think it was the, the pineal gland and has had a whole bunch of reasoning for that. Um, you know, on that note, if I may... Yeah. Um, and the pineal gland happens to be the only gland in the body that actually manages the external environment to mm -hmm. your internal physical state. For example, um, a lot of study and a lot of research is going into melatonin. Uh -huh, right. And the pineal gland is the gland that produces melatonin. I was taking melatonin supplements for a while to get to sleep because they put me right to sleep. Right. Like... And one of, the, one of the reasons you may not be getting enough sleep is because... Your day and your night cycle, your bodily clock mm -hmm. is out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens is that when you are looking at a bright light. Well, you know what it is, Raj? It's staying up too late, looking at computer screens late at night when I should be getting ready for bed. A restful night will not happen if you stare at a bright white or blue light yeah. before you go to bed. Um, optic and that is because the your eye takes in that light. And it's it's a tough word to pronounce. It's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN of the brain. Uh -huh. that, that nuclei, that nucleus is uh, maintains our bodily function and our bodily clock. And so when the bright light hits that nucleus, it tells the pineal gland, do not produce melatonin. It is daytime, 
Yeah, we basically, have to survive we're getting the sun on our eyeballs. That's letting us know it's time to stay up. Don't exactly. get sleepy. Exactly. And once that stops, then we should be able to go to sleep. But in modern life, we're, we're always exposed to our phones, our computers, and so forth. Just messing up. So, um, so to Descartes' point, he is absolutely correct in that our external environment, our world, if divinity lies outside of us, mm-hmm. the pineal gland is the gland that creates that connection between our outside world and what we think our ego or our self is. Yeah. Of course, he's the guy that said, I think, therefore I am. And was saying that, it, you know, I can be sure of nothing outside my myself except for my own. But, you know, I think in his own Western philosophy way, he's trying to get at what is the self? What is at the center of, like, ego or consciousness? So. It's an interesting train of thought. I wanted to ask about Kundalini, um, which, to my knowledge, is the yoga that focuses on chakras. And it's, my conception of it is that Kundalini is this idea of like an energy that rises through the chakras. Um, why is that a desirable thing, or or is it? You know. Yeah, I could talk about Kundalini. Um for hours. <laughs> well, you've, you've got five minutes. <laughs> I think the Kundalini Yoga is a misrepresentation. And I know that um, I might be saying something that is controversial in the West, but Kundalini Yoga doesn't really address what Kundalini is. Um, Kundalini awakening mm-hmm. is an event okay. that happens mm-hmm. as a result of which your brain transforms itself. You are able to activate certain energies through your um, cerebrospinal fluid mm-hmm. that allows for you to to become brilliant mm-hmm. within a moment. That sounds amazing. And that brilliance has been described in, in fantastical ways by mm-hmm. realized masters. And in order to get to that place, you have to practice so much of what is yoga that mm-hmm. is outside of the physical practice okay. of asanas, yeah. that the practice of physical asanas to focus on certain chakras, to think that you are activating your kundalini, yeah. where you will be able to separate your self, your essence from your ego, I think that might be a stretch. <laughs> so, there, yeah, I think there's this idea that you can... Uh, you know, work on your kundalini energy a little bit and you're just kind of moving it along and by taking a few classes you're going to do this kundalini thing that I, th- I feel like people have heard of um, but you're saying that that's that's got a misrepresentation that in, is in um, and th- I will also admit that there are there are folks amongst ourselves who are energetically very connected mm-hmm. and for them it is not about kundalini yoga Mm-hmm. It is about finding certain circumstances that is able to harness those energetic forces that they already have, their innate abilities from past lives or what have you, mm-hmm. that triggers that. Okay. And so they may have a kundalini awakening. So some people may experience. be predisposed to... Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But that can happen if I led them through a yoga nidra in a proper way. What's a yoga which, nidra? Yoga nidra is... The ability to relax mm. your muscle groups, your physical body to an extent where you are almost, you are awake. So your mind is in its purest form mm-hmm. without associating with itself 
with your bodily state. Mm-hmm. Or it can be in a Hatha yoga class. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter, I, I hesitate to use this word, but I'm tempted to say that it could be a coincidence in some beings mm-hmm. who are energetically already predisposed to attain that, okay. that certain triggers or certain names or certain vibrations that was practiced in a Kundalini class yeah. led them to that. Well, it's interesting. We're, you know, we're talking about yoga, but I feel like what's fascinating is we're talking so little about postures, you yes. know, and, um, are there, maybe what you're saying is that this, to kind of explore the idea of chakras and, and these energies, you have to go deeper than just thinking about yoga in terms of postures. Is that? Yeah. And at the end of the day, you have to have a healthy body in order to explore. If your mind is troubled, if your body is troubled to a point where you cannot mm-hmm. sit and relax, um, if you cannot sit upright in a position where your cerebrospinal fluid has the maximum chance of of experiencing itself, then you have to start at a physical practice. If mm-hmm. your back is hurting, if our energy, if our body's organs are constrained to constrain our energy, you have to be w- physically healthy before you can start thinking exactly. about being yeah. healthy yeah. on a on a sort of a metaphysical level. Correct. Um, yeah. So at at the end of the day, what is a good takeaway for just your average yoga practitioner who maybe knows a little bit about this stuff and is curious, but maybe doesn't have the time to, to make becoming fully realized a, a goal. You know, yeah. I don't think that all of us are, are. I personally pay a lot of stock in curiosity uh-huh. because that is the start of something. And unless these individuals came to a, hot yoga class or a Bikram mm-hmm, class, mm-hmm. they would perhaps have never heard those concepts, never have had the curiosity. My request to those folks is that don't stop your journey simply mm-hmm. at a physical level because other than looking good and feeling good, there is so much more to this journey of yoga. It is almost infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, and the journey is beautiful. It is colorful. It is vibrant. And there is never a moment of when you are bored with it unlike the physical practices, right? So while the physical practice is a gateway, when somebody hears such terms, um, I request all yoga teachers and all yoga students to continue their journey to learn, to understand more, and study with folks who have, who have experience, not just literary information, but actually personal experience, and it will transform them. If nothing else, just understanding why you are practicing certain poses or why you are focusing on certain parts of the body and what exactly is the state that you're trying to create in your mind has tremendous um, effect on not just human being, but society as a whole. Mm-hmm. If we were not, if a society was very dominant only on the survival mode, mm-hmm. the society's behavior would be fundamentally different than a society that is very powerful from a compassion and love mode. Sure, yeah from a very intellectual mode, yeah. right? Yeah. So as human being, as we evolve ourselves, there is this notion that we are evolving ourselves from our bottom chakra to our higher chakras because the survival, the periods of survival is over. You still need over. to survive. Yes, but not obviously. at that level. Yeah. You're not worried not... about a lion eating you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as, uh, as human being, our evolution depends on our understanding of not just our physical needs, but more so on our energetic needs. Mm-hmm. And and it is a gateway to that. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for for sharing that that knowledge and information. It's been been a great talk. It has been great to chat. Yeah. 
And in today's last segment, we're exploring the magic of poetry with local poet and teacher Coleman Stevenson as she shares two poems that inspire her. Today I'm bringing you a conversation in poems between one great dead poet and one contemporary Portland poet whose expansive work is in its own constant conversation with poetry throughout time. The German poet Rainer Maria Rilke is considered to be one of the greatest 20th century poets. His lyrical and philosophical poems and letters have made him a favorite of poets around the world. Google him and you'll discover that, quote, his haunting images tend to focus on the difficulty of communion with the ineffable in an age of disbelief, solitude, and profound anxiety. The other poet is John Beer, author of The Wasteland and Other Poems, which won the Norma Farber First Book Award from the Poetry Society of America, and also a chapbook, Lucinda, as well as a full-length verse novella of the same name. He is also the editor of a selection of Robert Lax's poems, published by Wave Books in 2013. He teaches at Portland State University. In his series of poems, Sonnets to Morpheus, John Beer gives us a playful mashup of a title, referencing Rilke's famous and lofty Sonnets to Orpheus, at the same time as the pop culture character from the Matrix film trilogy. Reading these works together reveals shared concerns about identity, creativity, and struggle in modern life. Here's Sonnet 18 from Rilke's Sonnets, as translated by Robert Temple. My friend, do you detect the sound of the modern, rumbling and shaking? Its prophets come to extol it. Truly, there is no hearing left intact in the raging tumult, but still the realm of machines would have our pledge. Behold the machine, as it revolves upon itself avenges itself and maims and enfeebles us. But as it also draws strength from us, let us, passionless, make it our pursuit, our service. Now, 87 years later, John Beer replies in two sections from his Sonnets to Morpheus. People collapse like dominoes. All roads lead to wells and lake. My task, develop a metaphysics of song and commit myself to it. My teacher hovers slightly to the left of the screen. She knows I cannot know what I have seen. The city has a freedom that evades our clumsy harnesses. Its blues and reds resist sight's tyranny. Its pheromones soak into commuters languid in the cave, and children shyly turn against my words. The rising I predicted comes to pass before I'm there. Sounds to me like you might need to unplug, man. Bodies collapse. I can't say how I ended up in Bangkok. What time is it? Depression assumes its latest form, a taste for blood. 
You have to believe in a better world, hidden within the glitzy architecture, not quite outside of time, but radiant, unmediated, yoga-like, pristine. The ghost of a pallid hunter met my gaze, my dollar rejected by the vending machine. Don't tell me you're a believer now. Not quite. I'm abandoning the neutral clothing, though. Can't say for sure what year it is. The airport's thick with signs, dervishes, T1 connection posts, clustered like mass graves, a black fleck steady in my swamp green eye. Like to thank our guest on today's show, Raj Patra, for coming in and sharing his wisdom and knowledge about yoga. I'd also like to thank X-Ray Studios, Arthur Risotto, for helping to record that episode, our audio engineer, Gene Forte of Blue Heron Recording Studios, producer Brandy Gaudet, and as always, co-host Jason Traeger. That's been our show on today's The Magic Hour. It's never a bad trip. It's never a bad trip.